I invite you to to consider our text, first of all, as we continue in our series through the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then also 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. How our society worships physical beauty. The pictures of the beautiful idols which this society worships are plastered all over magazines, on television, and on various websites, news sites on our computer. As a result, there are people, young and old alike, falling in love and emotionally involved with these living, breathing idols whom they have never even met? On what basis do their hearts go after these stars, these idols, uh, on the basis of, to a large extent, of their outward beauty? For they certainly do not know them. King Solomon, the wisest mere man that ever lived has stated so well the truth of the matter in Proverbs 31.30. Beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. That is, physical beauty is a mere vapor, a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Outward beauty is only skin deep. It is transitory. It is changeable. Our beauty, dear ones, is vanishing. The beauty upon which we ought to be, however truly focused, is the beauty of the Lord. Now that is true beauty. The beauty of the Lord. And the beauty of the Lord that is within the Christian's life and is seen in our love for Jesus Christ, our love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, our love for his commandments, and our love for one another. That is a beauty, dear ones, that does not fade away, but rather becomes all the more beautiful with the passing of time. The temptation we faced in focusing our attention upon mere outward beauty is one that comes to most of us. A temptation that comes to most of us. Wherein our outward appearance before man is greater and is held of greater esteem in our estimation than our inward appearance before God. This is just, dear ones, another bodily temptation that we face, like that of drunkenness, like that of bodily addictions that we spoke of concerning in a previous sermon. These are just more bodily temptations that we face that will overwhelm the Christian if we are not growing in the fruit of temperance, the fruit of self-control. The main points for the sermon this Lord's Day are the following. Number one, 
bringing outward beauty under the control of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 3.3. And the second main point, growing the incorruptible fruit of inward beauty. In 1 Peter 3.4. Our first main point then, Bringing outward beauty under the control of the Holy Spirit. Once again, consider with me 1 Peter 3 and verse 3 for this first main point. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. The Apostle Peter sends this inspired letter to these scattered Christians, many of whom are Jewish Christians, living in the Roman provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, And as was the usual literary order of the apostolic letters, the first part of this epistle of 1 Peter focuses on the doctrine of the gospel. And that which follows focuses on the application of the gospel to the persecution which these Christians were undergoing at that time. And also, it focuses on this living a holy life as well in the various relationships that the Christians had, whether it be the the family, whether it be the church, whether it be the community at large. And as we come to the third chapter of 1 Peter, in verses 1 through 6, The relationship of the wife to her husband is addressed, which is then followed by the relationship of the husband to the wife in verse 7. Our attention for this sermon is particularly focused upon what Peter writes concerning the matter of, of outward appearance and dress in 1 Peter 3 3. And that which Peter states is fitting for a godly wife. Though the immediate context is related to wives and their outward appearance, let none of us think for a moment that the general principles that are drawn out from this passage and in these verses have nothing to do with we who are men. For they are applicable, these general principles are applicable to men as well as to women, which we will be pointing out as we move through the sermon this Lord's Day. Though the specific Greek word for temperance or self-control that was used in Galatians 5.23 in Kratea, is not used here in this particular passage. The thrust of these verses is that which is to characterize the Christian wife, the Christian woman, as well as what is to characterize, in general principles, the Christian man, the Christian husband as well. And that which is to characterize is not a preoccupation with beautifying the physical body, but rather a preoccupation with beautifying the inward heart of the Christian. In order for the Christian to turn from that which the world idolizes to that which is of great price in the sight of God, it will require in the Christian, the work of God's Holy Spirit in growing the fruit of temperance, the fruit of self-control, in saying no to all of the temptations that will come that we might be preoccupied with the mere external body. 
like the temptation to be drawn to a bodily excess in what we eat and drink, as we saw in the previous sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. So there is here, likewise, the temptation to be drawn to a bodily excess in our bodily appearance. When the wall of self-control is not fortified and standing firmly against such bodily temptations, we will be given over to an abuse and, and an unlawful use of our bodies to become essentially a billboard advertising ourselves rather than a living letter pointing people to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter gives to us a contrast in these verses. In verse 3, what Christian women and by application Christian men are not to give themselves over to, but in verse 4, what Christian women and by application Christian men are to give themselves over to. As we shall see, Peter is not issuing here some absolute prohibition against all outward beauty or outward adornment, but is issuing a warning that we must be careful not to make our outward appearance an idol to us, while at the same time ignoring neglecting and rejecting the imperishable beauty of fearing God and growing in a meek and quiet spirit. Dear ones, being consumed with our body and with our appearance before man always indicates an emptiness, an emptiness in the heart for the beauty of the Lord. Those who are preoccupied with the outward man to the neglect of the inward man are, in effect, crying out to the world to notice them, to notice them, to applaud them, for the world to give them the world's approval. It is an evidence that there, there was, is much lacking by way of an inward beauty of the Lord when that is our focus and our preoccupation. Beloved Christian modesty is not first and foremost an issue of outward appearance. Christian modesty is rather first and foremost an issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ being received by faith alone and being lived out in the entire life of the Christian, in the Christian's thoughts, words, behavior, and appearance. For you see, dear ones, we may profess with our lips faith in Christ, belief in the gospel, but we may at the very same time deny the gospel that we profess by our outward speech, our outward behavior, and by our preoccupation and idolizing our outward appearance. Titus 1.16, we read, they profess that they know God, but in works... They deny him. The Apostle Peter specifically states in 1 Peter 3, 3 that a Christian woman is not to be characterized and known by three outward adornments. First of all, she's not to be characterized and known by her lavish hairdo, plating the hair. Secondly, she's not to be characterized by or known by her showy, expensive jewelry, wearing of gold. And thirdly, she's not to be known or to be characterized by her clothing, the putting on of apparel. 
In other words, if, if those in the church or those in the world were asked how they would describe you, how they would describe you, would they be immediately drawn to describe you by your hairstyle, your jewelry, your clothing, or any other bodily adornment? Or would they be first drawn to describe you by your Christian character? Godliness, meekness, quiet spirit, and love for Jesus Christ. These excessive outward adornments of which Peter here speaks are such that they are crying out. These adornments are crying out, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman that is filled with, preoccupied with these outwardly adornments, that person is in essence crying out, look at me, look at me, notice me. Look at how beautiful or handsome or how cool I am. There was to be known by our hairdo or our jewelry or our clothing is to become a poster child for self rather than a poster child for Christ. The plating of hair refers to the extravagant weaving of the hair up and up and up and up on top of the head until it looks like a mighty fortress, a mighty tower upon the top of the female's head which everyone would eventually uh, notice once they were within an eye shot of this woman. You see, it's not that hair is forbidden from being an adornment. Paul says it's a, it's a woman's glory, her long hair. But rather that the hair, whether on a woman or whether on a man, ought not to be a billboard advertising ourselves. The wearing of gold has the idea of wrapping and wrapping and wrapping around and around and around much gold and, or other precious stones around the hair, around the neck, around the wrist, around the waist, around the ankles in a very showy spectacle. Once again, the idea is not that it is sinful in itself to wear jewelry, as we will see, but that jewelry not be abused, so that it is the jewelry that people see rather than a Christian whose heart and affections supremely belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The putting on of apparel, dear ones, is necessary to clothe the body as God did with Adam and Eve in order to clothe their nakedness. But the Christian life does not consist, dear ones, of the latest fashions, the latest designer clothes. It doesn't consist of dressing extravagantly or dressing with a view to expose in various forms, one's nakedness. The Christian life consists in surrendering all of our life to Christ in meekness, that Christ might be seen in our behavior and might be heard in our speech. There was beauty is a good gift. It's a good gift from God. And there is nothing wrong with beauty in itself. Whether it be beautiful people, whether it be beautiful mountains and flowers and streams, whether it be a beautiful car, whether it be beautiful music, God himself has given us beauty in this world to appreciate in order that we might worship Him who is beauty itself. 
rather than worshiping the creature. Many times God has called his inspired writers to record in the pages of Holy Writ the fact that a person was physically attractive. Whether Sarah in Genesis 12.11 or Rebecca in Genesis 24.16 or Rachel in Genesis 29.17 or David in 1 Samuel 17.42 or Abigail in 1 Samuel 25.3 or Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11.2 or Absalom in 2 Samuel 14.25 or Esther in Esther 1.11 and no doubt many others as well that one might cite. You know, had I lived at that time in which those biblical characters lived, it certainly would not have been sinful for me to recognize and acknowledge their outward beauty, since God himself has stated this to be the case in his own holy word. Thus, it is not outward beauty that is wrong. For it is good, and it is given by God. It is the abuse of outward beauty that is wrong, that is sinful. Outward beauty is wrong and sinful when it becomes an end in itself, which we seek, whether our own beauty or the beauty of others that we seek, or when it becomes a means to some end of filling the emptiness and the void in our lives, or an end to becoming popular amongst our peers, or an end to becoming acceptable within this group or that group, or an end to becoming successful in the business world, or an end to getting what we want in life simply because we're physically attractive and end to getting an attractive guy or an attractive girl or an end to advertising ourselves rather than advertising Christ. Dear ones, whatever outward beauty you may have is not given in order that you might glorify yourself, but is given to glorify the Lord who gave it to you. Who do you want people to see above all when they look at you? When they get to know you, who do you want them to see? Do you truly desire that they would see Jesus Christ who has created you and who has redeemed you? Or does that hardly at all enter into your mind that you want people as they view you, as they see you, as they get to know you? Does that hardly enter into your mind? Or rather, is it you want them to see you? You want them to see your beauty in some way, your adornment in some way. If it is not God, if it is not Jesus Christ, that you want others to see in the way you conduct yourself, in the way that you adorn yourself physically, then it must be merely yourself that you want them to see, which I would suggest to you is a form of idolatry in robbing God of his glory. For you have cheated the Lord in so doing out of his praise and his glory. Dear ones, outward adornment as we have noted, is not sinful in itself. Modest adornment that has a heart to please God and glorify God 
and not to be a stumbling block to others is beautiful. But when it is to show off our form, the contour of our body, to show off our physique, to be a billboard for ourselves, that adornment becomes, I submit to you, ugly in the sight of God. Not beautiful. Is it a sin in itself to use jewelry or cosmetics? Is caring for our physical bodies by way of exercise and diet and rest unlawful in itself? No. As in all areas of life, it is not the use, but rather it is the abuse of such things that is sinful. Let me give you some reasons why such outward adornment is not sinful in itself though it certainly may become sinful by way of abuse. The wearing of jewelry as a bodily adornment is not condemned in Scripture. Genesis 24-22, here speaking of the servant that went out, the Abraham's servant that went out to find a wife for Isaac and Speaking of Rebekah, it says, And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. In Exodus 32, verses 2 through 3, and speaking of Israel, we find that when they offered to Aaron various Uh, articles of gold and silver and precious stones, that these were things that they were using, these were things that they were wearing, uh, and for which the Lord, even previously, had not said anything that, that they were sinning, that they had violated his law, his commandments in any way, by simply having and wearing and using these particular things. They certainly, as again, I said, they can become sinful by way of abuse. But we read in uh, Exodus 32, verses 2 through 3. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. We also read in Isaiah 61.10, and speaking of salvation, we find, again, that uh, outward adornment uh, is a sign of joy, of rejoicing, um, as though it's speaking figuratively here. Nevertheless, uh, the reality of it uh, must have some uh, basis in truth if it's used as a figure. In Isaiah 61.10, We read, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Likewise, in Ezekiel 16, verses 11 through 13, we find how God figuratively represents adorning his people Israel. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, I deck thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands and a chain on thy neck. And I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Thou wast th- uh, thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom." And one other place, though again, there probably are many others that might be cited. 
In Luke 15:22, the figurative uh, act of the father who receives back into the family the prodigal son. Luke 15:22. But the father said to his servants, "Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet." As I said, it is the abuse and ex- uh, excess that is condemned by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, and is likewise condemned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Paul says there, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Neither is the caring for one's body with fragrant oils and lotions and cosmetics to beautify it necessarily condemned in Scripture either. In Esther 2.12, the process that Esther was taken through uh, in preparing her to meet the king is laid out for us here. And it says, Now when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purification accomplished, to wit six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of the women. Likewise, we read in the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, both on the part of the husband, as well as on the part of the wife, we find, again, uh, these types of references in Song of Solomon 3.6. Speaking of the husband, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all powders of the merchant? The Song of Solomon 4.10. How fair, speaking of the woman, the bride, how fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse, How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointment than all spices? I agree with with Calvin and many other Reformed commentators that what is condemned in 1 Peter 3.3 and likewise in 1 Timothy 2.9 is not jewelry, fine clothing, or cosmetics in themselves, but the abuse wherein is exhibited and, and I quote Calvin at this point, excessive eagerness and desire to be richly dressed. That is, to dress beyond one's means and for the mere show of it. To draw attention to oneself. To make oneself, as we've said earlier, a billboard, an exhibition of one's own self and one's own beauty. For Calvin, once again, rightly states, I believe, quote, And hence we ought to derive the rule of moderation. For since dress is an indifferent matter, as all outward matters are, it is difficult to assign a fixed limit how far we ought to go. And that's why we, again, go back to general principles, which we'll look at in just a moment. General principles that ought to be used. God doesn't give us a dress code with specifics laid out in the Bible. He gives us general principles that we are to follow as those whose hearts are inclined unto him. 
What are some of the guidelines we might use in adorning our bodies? Well, let me offer the following. Number one, adorn your bodies to the glory of God, first and foremost. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. As I said earlier, modesty is first and foremost not an issue of the body. Modesty, first and foremost, is an issue of the heart. An issue of the heart. Do not dress in order to call attention to yourself, in order to impress others, or in order to flirt with others. Is God's glory, dear ones, a consideration at all in the clothing, the jewelry, the cosmetics that you use? Not to do so for God's glory is robbing God of his glory. For our body and spirit, dear ones, do not belong to ourselves. They belong to God. As we read in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, Apostle Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. A biblical view of adornment cannot be separated from the gospel of Jesus Christ and his rule as Lord over every area of our life. Secondly, adorn your bodies moderately. In other words, do not go to extremes in fashions and fads. As we read concerning those who dress in, quote, Strange apparel, end of quote, in Zephaniah 1.8. Strange apparel. Don't dress to look like this rock star or that movie star. Don't make your bodily appearance an idol that you worship. Remember those whom you want to be like and those whom you want to look like reveal very, very much about the desires of your own heart. Thirdly, adorn your bodies modestly. This word modest apparel, modest dress, comes in 1 Timothy 2.9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word used here for modest is the Greek word kosmios, kosmios, which sounds very close to cosmos, which means world. In fact, they come from the same root. And both the term kosmios and the term cosmos refer to that which is uh, orderly, has an order to it. it it's not... It's not haphazard. There is a sense of orderliness that is present. Both in the case of dress, scriptural order, scriptural principles that are applied in avoiding excesses and extremes, and also well-ordered according to cultural practices. For example... For example, it would not be dressing modestly, I submit to you, in this present cultural situation in which we live, for men to return to the robes. If, if one or two of you began to return to the robes that were worn in biblical times, or the clothing that was worn uh, in an earlier age, and, and one began to dress in that manner, I submit to you, that would not be well-ordered. That would be simply taking a particular set of, of, uh, of dress, a code that, was, that goes back hundreds of years, and trying to impose it upon yourself or, in, or others in this particular age. 
That's not what modesty is. Modesty in appearance, Jones, is founded upon, first of all, the change of heart wrought by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the fruit of the Spirit and is manifested by dressing in such a way as not to draw attention to oneself as if to say, look at me, look at me, notice me but rather to draw attention, to dress in such a way as to draw attention to Jesus Christ. As I said, there is no specific dress code given to us in the scripture. What we have are the principles that God has given to us. These general principles for our clothing would be principles like this. Covering our nakedness. Avoiding that which draws attention to ourselves by the way we dress. And foregoing, revealing in such tight clothing, whether men or whether women, that may become the occasion of setting a temptation before our brothers or sisters in Christ. You see, lust within us doesn't need any help at all. That is a part of our fallen nature, sadly. Although none of us can ultimately prevent someone else from lusting, we should never encourage lusting by the way that we dress. Fourth principle, adorn yourself with godly stewardship. In both finances, stewardship of finances, and in stewardship of time. Don't buy what you cannot afford just so as to impress others. The Apostle Paul declares that we should not adorn ourselves with, quote, costly array, end of quote, in 1 Timothy 2.9. However, at the same time, it may be a better use. Think about this. It may be actually a better use of financial resources in the long run to buy that which is of a significantly superior quality, even if it is more expensive than to buy that which is clearly of an inferior quality, even though it is less expensive. So we have to weigh some of these matters out. And then lastly, again, you might have others that you would add to this list. But lastly, adorn yourself for your health. Don't make your body an idol which you worship. But at the same time, understand that the Bible does call us to treat the temple of the Holy Spirit with proper stewardship that is befitting of God's Ownership of our bodies and of our souls. In 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. But it does profit. There is profit in bodily exercise. But in comparison to the other type of exercise, exercising ourselves to godliness... That holds promise not only for this life, but for the life to come. It profiteth little because bodily exercise pertains only to this life. But exercising ourselves to godliness pertains to not only this life, but to the life to come. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, once again, As I quoted earlier, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But we must not, dear ones, allow our bodies to exercise mastery over our supreme love for the Lord Jesus Christ over the gospel of Jesus Christ, over the commandments of God, and over our love for our neighbor, 
we should care for our body by means of a healthy diet. Exercise and sufficient rest. Otherwise, I submit to you, if we don't exercise proper stewardship of our bodies, which belong to God, we treat our body as merely belonging to us. And we then believe we can abuse it or do with it however we want. It's our body. But the commandment we find in Exodus 20, verse 13, says, Thou shalt not kill. Which implies that we're not only to preserve the life of others, but we are to seek to preserve our own life as well. Second main point. Growing the incorruptible fruit of inward beauty. In 1 Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Here was the root problem. When the wall of self-control crumbles before the temptation to draw attention to our body, to our clothing, uh, to our jewelry, is that we have failed to see the beauty of the Lord in all of his love, in all of his mercy, in all of his faithfulness, in all of his holiness, in all of his wisdom, in all of his power. And therefore, we have failed to grow in the fruit of of the Holy Spirit, and therefore the wall comes crashing down, and all of these temptations begin to crowd in by way of advertising our bodies by the way we clothe ourselves, by the jewelry we put on, by the, the extravagant hairstyles, etc., etc. The beauty of the body. Everyone's then is more important to us than the beauty of Christ growing in us. We must come, dear ones, to see the idolatry of such love of outward beauty. For when we see the beauty of the Lord within us as that which supremely we desire, as that which we supremely pray for, as that which we supremely work for and exercise ourselves toward godliness, there will be, dear ones, there will be a biblical modesty given to the body instead of calling attention to ourselves and becoming a billboard advertising ourselves. The Apostle Peter, having admonished Christians to avoid the idolizing of the body, whether our own bodies or whether the body of others, now turns our attention to a beauty that doesn't depend on youth or cosmetics or plastic surgery because this beauty is not external. It is a beauty that is not corruptible. It doesn't perish, according to 1 Peter 3, 4. It is a beauty that will last forever and ever. Unlike our outward appearance, which will falter and fail no matter how many visits one may make to the beauty parlor, how many visits one may make to the jewelry store, or how many visits one may make to the gym or to the shopping mall. All of those are going to perish. All those are going to fail. All that you buy and purchase, dear ones, will eventually wear out or go out of style. 
but a meek and a quiet spirit will never, ever wear out or go out of style in the sight of the Holy Trinity or in the sight of Christians who likewise are growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What makes a Christian woman truly beautiful, and I would submit as well a Christian man, truly handsome. Peter says, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. First Peter 3, 4. Here, dear ladies, is a beauty that is even more beautiful when you're 60 years old than when you are 20 years old. This is how women become more beautiful the older they grow. And how women are more beautiful at the end of their lives than they were at the beginning of their lives. The way to exercise self-control over bodily excesses is to grow in developing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of meekness and of quietness, which are simply examples of all the other fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a Christian. The fruit of meekness, as we have noted in previous sermons on the fruit of meekness, uh, is my power under God's control. That's what meekness is. It's surrendering my power to God's control. The fruit of self-control, as we have noted in a previous sermon, is not the self-controlling all, but the Holy Spirit controlling self. The fruit of self-control, there is, is my affections, my plans, my mouth, my eyes, my ears, my behavior, my body, my food, my drink, my adornment and my clothing, my possessions and all my relationships being under the control of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is meekness is the surrender of all taking the yoke of Christ upon us, surrendering all that I am and all that I wear to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the quiet spirit in 1 Peter 3, 4 is one in which the heart is not easily ruffled by the cares and the concerns of this life. It is steadfast. It is quiet. It it is still Be still and know that I am God. Because that one who has that quiet spirit fears the Lord God. That is, holds God in the highest esteem. Holds God in the highest awe and wonder. And takes God seriously in both his promises as well as in his commandments. God, dear ones, is infinitely beautiful in all that he is and in all that he does. In an absolute sense, but we can see it when we fear him. We see his beauty when we fear him. And this adornment of a quiet spirit and of a meek and quiet spirit This adornment, Peter says, is of great price. It is valuable. More valuable, certainly, than any jewelry. More valuable than any clothing that we could wear. It is of great price in the sight of God, even if it is not so in the sight of the world. And this godly character should be in the sight 
as godly character should be in the sight of those young people whom you court. You should look for, first of all, within your own heart, a meek and quiet spirit, growing in the fruit of the spirit. Don't expect it to find it in others if it is not living and abiding in your own heart and in your own life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. But when that is there, that's what you will want, to find the same thing in the life of another. That inward beauty of the Lord, admired and cherished by both husband and wife, I submit to you, is the secret to a blessed relationship and marriage. The blossoming and growing of that inward beauty of the Lord is that which makes a marriage most blessed. And in which, in the eyes of a couple who are aging and growing ever older, are only becoming more beautiful and more handsome in the sight of the one who is loved. In conclusion, I leave you with the very fitting words that I recently read of Jeff Pollard in an article entitled, A Return to Modest Apparel. And he says this, the cry of the Satanist is, quote, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. End of quote. The cry of the 60s was, Do your own thing. The cry of the feminists is, quote, It's my body and I'll do what I want. The cry of the modern evangelical is, quote, it's my liberty and I'll do what I want, end of quote. Nevertheless, the declaration of scripture is this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. You are not your own if you are a Christian. Your whole being, body, and soul is the purchased property of Jesus Christ. And the price paid for your body was the breaking of his. Quote, this is my body, which is broken for you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, and Matthew 26, 26. Your body belongs to him. He redeemed it with his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, glory be to thy name. Forgive us, our God, of our exhibitionism, becoming, O Lord, a billboard for ourselves by the way we dress, clothe ourselves, ornaments we use rather than becoming, Lord, a billboard for Jesus Christ through a meek and quiet spirit. We pray our Lord and our God that thou would, would look upon us, our Lord, cause us to see that those temptations uh, are continually seeking to to knock down the wall of self-control and temperance around our lives. Temptations to focus upon our, our outward appearance, our bodies, our physique, to focus upon what we wear. 
Lord God, we pray that our conscious focus would rather be upon the beauty of the Lord and seeking to bring him glory by the way we present ourselves in private and in public. We ask, Lord, hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.